as I mentioned earlier, we've been engaging, uh, we started last week engaging in uh, really vision of DCC, why we love the city and why we are here. And last week I talked uh, through the story of Jonah, and uh, if you missed that, you can go back, it's on our podcast, and, it, and for a lot of people it can, it can seem like an interesting story to pursue, um, but what we found out if you're with us is it's really a story about uh, God's love for a city and for people that are far from Him, and it's also a story about uh, those who are religious and the tendency uh, to not like those who aren't religious like them, and, and God's really rebuke of that, and we found that Jonah was actually a very hard-hearted person, and uh, he didn't want to follow God because he was, God was pursuing people that were far from them, and he, God was wanting to redeem them and to rescue them, and, and Jonah didn't like that, uh, and so God confronted his heart. He was confronting these people who were incredibly evil and bringing them back to himself, and he was also pursuing Jonah to bring Jonah back to himself and to help them find their way back to God. It was really, it's a really interesting story. And what we found is, as Christ followers, Jonah is a reflection of us in our hearts. And one of the reasons why we started here at DCC is that we love those who are far from God. That's who, uh, that's who God's heart is for as well. And we want to constantly be reminded of our own hearts not to become prideful and to love the city. And so that's one of our calls here. That's one thing that drives us at DCC. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's why, that's why I'm here. Um, I've lived here in the city, uh, in Jersey City, for 15 years. And we've seen a lot happen. I'm not from here originally. Uh, I don't know if that stood out to you or not. But, uh, but you know, we, I, love, I believe this is where God has called us to be. I, you know, I have three kids. We've raised, they've all born here and raised here. And it's our desire that we see our kids raise their children here. And uh, we love the city. And we've seen Jersey City change a lot. Downtown Jersey City specifically, uh, you may know that it's grown tremendously. Most of the high-rises that are around us didn't even exist 15 years ago, like most of them, except we're just along the waterfront. And uh, like this one didn't exist even like three years ago. (laughs) This building was like opened up in March of 2020. Phenomenal time to open, right? So so bad. Nimbus, we're here at Nimbus. We love being partners with Nimbus Art Center. Nimbus is a ballet company that's been in the city uh, for quite a while. And, uh, and so we, we love being able to partner with them. But they're going to do their grand opening March three years ago. I think we, ce- anyway, we didn't celebrate three years of COVID anyway. That's not a celebration. I don't know what you call that. We marked it. We moved on. Qu- anyway, so it's been interesting. Uh, in my first year and a half in Jersey City, um, I experienced my first wedding anniversary. Uh, I signed two leases, uh, two different apartments. I, I got to experience uh, the, the birth of my firstborn, my daughter. Happened within that uh, first year or so of living here. <clears throat> and I lost my job due to economic downturn in the city. There was downsizing that happened and eventually caught up to me. All of that was in the first year and a half. Uh, when I lost my job, we had just signed a new lease, and our daughter, daughter was three months old. It was a fascinating time, <laughs> and that was kind of the beginning of our story here, and God was with us in all of that, and we've seen downtown grow by, I think, 60 or 70 percent. I think I don't know if I said that earlier, but the, the growth of downtown has been unbelievable, and if we look at the, the 2010 census to the 2020 census, it's been amazing, and I've just kind of watched that happen. And, 
And our, the reason we moved here was to be part of to new churches in the city. And what's been amazing the last 15 years, we've seen that, that work begin to happen. When we were pursuing starting a church in downtown, really nobody was looking to come to downtown Georgia City. We were like, hey, we'd love to be partnered with someone who wants to start a church here. And then eventually we were like, I don't think anybody does. And then I was like, oh, I think God wants us to do this. And so that began to pursue a story. I never started a church. I didn't know how to do that. And, how, and that's what I love about pursuing God is that as we engage his story, we don't have to have all the answers figured out. We just begin to step out in faith. And I had no idea that there's a church next door in Hoboken. They started around the same time we moved here with five people and were steadily growing. And they knew they had, had experience in starting churches. And I began to train with them and partner with them. And, and God was with us in this story. And if you move the city, uh, really, and, you know, there's, there's kind of an initiation to Jersey City. There's all these initiation points that we all kind of had shared things. Like one of them could be going to ShopRite. Um, <laughs> you laughed. It's interesting. So, you know, there are different things. For us, there was a couple, you know, shop, learning to shop at ShopRite was an interesting thing because it was different culturally for us. Uh, just and, and now we love it. And Aaron, 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 we don't go there that often now, but when Aaron goes, she like knows the clerks because we've been there going there for years. And, and another one was calling, it was either Comcast or Verizon. And I was shocked at the attitude that they gave us. And so we worked through that. But the other one was, was our landlord. Our first landlord in Jersey City uh, was really interesting. And she, she knew, and, we, and I knew it was obvious. Now that I look back on this in hindsight, we were totally green to the city and naive. And she knew it. And man, she loved to take advantage of that. And, and so and she kind of was a gift to me in hindsight. Because she helped toughen me up. Like she wouldn't do anything, things would break, and then she, they'd blame it on us. The very first thing at the apartment that we had at the time, the, there's a washer and dryer combo. And, uh, but the drain, the drain for it, you had to pull, there's a hose from behind it. You had to pull it out and put it in the bathtub in the, in the, in the bathroom behind it. This is over on Grand Street by St. Peter's. And, and she never told us that. So our first week here, Aaron gets a load of laundry going. We're settling into our place. There's a coffee shop down the street. She goes and hangs out at the coffee shop, comes back, and water's flooding everywhere, and we flood the people underneath us. Our first week here, she blamed that on us. We were like, you never told us. And, like she, and this is the, the Jersey way. And, and so, you know, I remember... I just was not tough enough to confront her. I was like, I'm a good Christian guy. I shouldn't be able, you know, I shouldn't have, and I, don't, I didn't know how to do that. And eventually, I figured it out. And I remember being, I was working at a church in Manhattan at the time, and she would not help us fix a thermostat issue. And so I finally went into the closet. It was like a, a storage closet with a refrigerator and some food items in this church office in Midtown. I shut the door. And I just go after it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, just let her have it. Uh, I may have used some colorful words to be like, come and get this thermostat fixed. And it, guess what? It fixed. And I broke the code. I figured out how to communicate properly. And so uh, we moved out of that place and found it. And we learned our lesson. And, and so we were, you know, initiation in the city. And we, we love this city. We love all these things. The city tells you where to park by giving you parking tickets. And, uh, but we're here because this is where people are. 
When, jo- when, when uh, God was speaking to Jonah, and we read this last week, he was like, do you realize that there, there's like 120,000 kids just alone in this city, so young that they don't even know their right hand from their left, but just in that young age group, zero to two-year-olds, and he's like, this is a massive city, and God loves the city, and, and so we, <coughs> the initiations are important. It was only until we began to go through hard times and we stayed that people who are from here began to engage with us and talk with us, and we developed a lot of deep relationships throughout the city in ways I never even thought possible, and I've grown a ton, and we, are, we, we love Jersey City, and so we started our journey, and it took about seven years, and then seven years in, uh, we got to be part of starting, we started Downtown Community Church in e- on Easter of 2015. We will celebrate eight years as a church next month, the first Sunday of April, and so yeah, that's exciting. Um, this is not because of how good I am at leading a church, it's the opposite, <laughs> uh, it's God's doing, and I recognize it's by His grace. And, and so why is it that we, love, we talk about Christ so much? And so everything for us starts with Christ. And so I talked about our love for the city. And next week I'm going to share a critical, what I, what I would say one of the high points of Jesus' teaching. It shows His heart as well. And that's going to be next week. And I want to challenge us to engage the city as we lead up to Easter uh, Easter is about a month away for us, and but today I just want to pause and share uh, why, why it is that we believe in Christ in uh, the point of belief for us, and that we believe that there is a point where we believe in Him. Why is it that we need to do that, and what do we believe about that? And so I want to share that today, uh, and so this really starts with what we believe about the beginning of the world and how we are created by God and uh, how we've broken that and walked away from Him. And so we believe that God has created the world to exist in what we call shalom. And this is, this is shalom really just means perfect harmony and unity. And so God has made us to, He created everything for beauty. He created everything to be unified, and, I, and we've actually talked about that quite a bit recently. And so Shalom, perfect harmony and unity. And that he made the world for us. So there, there's a tension in us. We, we kind of long for the, we kind of see the, where the world needs to be. Like we, we need to get along. We need to love one another. And we, we have this desire to see things be made right. And what, what we're desiring is how God originally created it for us to be. And so God exists. We believe that God exists in the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is key to our, our foundation because that means we believe a God who's in relationship, in such, such unity with each other and that they are one. And so that, but God being in relationship means that there's, God is not just, just thundering down to us and, and ready to strike us with lightning. He understands what it means to be sacrificial, to love one another. And so God exists in this perfect unity and harmony and God then creates us to extend his family. So God creates man to extend his family to us in this unity. 
And so we find this in Ephesians 1. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is his desire for us from the beginning, for us to exist, to be, be able to stand in front of him and see us as completely without any wrong, faults, or sin. Before he made the world, this was his plan for you and me. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So in advance, this was what he knew that he was going to do, to bring us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Like he's excited about this plan. And so the reason he needed to bring us and adopt us back into the family is because we walked away from him. We broke away from the family. He knew we would do this. He gave us a free will. That's what a, a fully loving person would do. would not force you to love, not force you to be in relationship. He gave us the choice. And so we were given that choice. So we find this recorded in the scripture from the beginning. This is found in Genesis 2a. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and of good and evil. And so he creates everything that is good, and we have this tree in the middle. And this is important. And then it goes on to say in, in, in Genesis 1, it says, so, the God, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God said to us, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. And God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was very good. It was awesome. And it was, you know, everything was great. Uh, but then we were given the choice. And so that this goes on, this is found in Genesis 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? And I just realized that I have the wrong message notes. That was good, good timing there. Sorry about this. I was like, I'm missing stuff, which is good. He was like, great, we'll get out of here early. Uh, I'm sorry about this. <laughs> Give me a second. I've never done this before. See, I'm not perfect. There we go. I could probably go through that with you. Okay. This is important. I've never done this before. Okay. Uh. <laughs> okay. Now, here we go. This is much better. Uh, so we decided, okay, so we read all that. God looked over all that he's, he had, and he said it was very good. So we were given a choice, and we decided rather than trusting him, we would go our own way. And we bought into this lie that God was holding out on us. And this is something that I think that it's, it's fascinating because we are still struggling with this even today. Um, that we, We're like, I don't, we're not sure that God is really good. We're not sure if even, I think culture is really saying, well, is the church even needed? And we, 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 we kind of always have this feeling that, you know, I think God is holding on me, and I, 
I, I have a better way of life. We have a better way of living life. The problem is we're not doing so good with that. We're like, I know God says not to do that, or I, I just don't know that he cares about us. And what we, we don't ever, we're never really told about the beauty that he made us to experience. I don't think God wants me to be happy is what we kind of come to the conclusion with. And why is he holding out on me? And this is where this, this thought was introduced. And so the serpent comes and says, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from the tree of the garden? And so we have man and woman here at the very beginning. And she says, of course we may eat from, from, the, from the trees in the garden, woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat from it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. He says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so there's this half-truth, this half-lie to pull us away from the truth and, and, and of God. And so the woman, it says the woman was convinced and that she saw that the tree was beautiful and his fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so we were drawn away. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. They were both right there together making this decision together, and, they, and they, they walked away from God. Well, why is that significant? Because God is life. God is love. This is a foundation of our belief. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons we stand upon that, and Jesus is the center of that, and I'll get into that here in just a second. But to walk away from God and his instructions for us is to, to walk away from life and to, from love, and that means we walk towards death. And so in the midst of harmony was introduced what the Bible refers to as sin, what it calls sin. Now, it's a big word, and the church is known, and religious you know, is known for kind of put, you know, talking about that. Well, what is, what is sin? Well, I think it's really important that we understand when God's story with us, what sin is. Well, sin is any action that is unloving. So it, it, sin has everything to do with that original beauty. And when we begin to understand it that way, it, it gives us a great picture and understanding of how God in, interacts with us. And He interacts with us relationally. It's any action that is unloving. So, so sin is relational. It has everything to do with that. Any any break in that intended love, it's a break between the intended love between God and us, and us with each other, and our relationships with one another. When we have a break, that is sin. And what's interesting is, you feel this in your own relationships. When you hurt someone, you do something that hurts them, and you, I mean, you don't have to even believe in God, and you, 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 you feel this, that there's a break. If you're married, you're in a significant relationship, and you hurt one another, and you're in the same room... You can feel it. There is a break, and we, we know that. It has everything to do with that original unity, and we had a break in our relationship with God and with other, that's others. And it has everything to do with that original beauty. What's interesting is this is why the Ten Commandments that we were given, that God gave to the nation of Israel, and he was engaging in his relationship with us, it was divided into two portions. The beginning deals with your relationship with God, and the second part deals with your relationships with other people. Sin is relational. We think many times because of the Ten Commandments and other things that you know, it's this list of rules, and all those, the lists and the things that God has given us really just shows us how we can't, we can't keep up our relationship with God and we can't keep up with our relationship with others. You can set your own rules, and you can't even follow them. Parents, you tell your kids to do things, and then 
We don't do them. <laughs> it's, we break our own rules. And this is why Christ came to us, and he, and he said this. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? This is what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. We love God and love others. And so if you look at the, what we call the Old Testament scriptures, the story leading up to Jesus coming to us, the entire Old Testament is summed up with love God and love others. So any break in your relationship with God is what we call sin. Any break in any selfishness and break in relationships with one another, that is what we call sin. And we've all done it. We've all chosen selfishness. We've all hurt others. We've all done this. And the scriptures speak to this. And Paul, in the book of Romans, it breaks this down in an incredibly intelligent way. In Romans 3.23, he says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And that's really what it's about. God had a standard, and we fell short of that. Romans 3.10, he says, he says, The scriptures say, No one is righteous, not even one. And so we chose to walk away from God. But just because we did that doesn't mean that God didn't walk away from us. He keeps His promises. And one of those promises is that no one will ever hurt you and get away with it. This is interesting. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 19. He says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And he's referring to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, 35. This is a direct reference. He says, he says God is speaking, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. In, in their due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near, and their doom rushes upon them. God promised that he won't let us be hurt and people get away with it. And we need a God who cares about justice. We live in a world right now that is very passionate about justice. God who, a God who cares about justice means that someone who hurts you or wrongs you doesn't just get to get away from it. And you, we see that happen when we see some wrong happen in the world, in our country, in our city. And everybody's like, man, is this, is this person going to be caught? Are they, and, and we long for that to happen. And when that happens, we celebrate and we rejoice. So you should want a God that cares about justice. So this is really good news if you've been hurt. And we see this throughout Scripture. If you read throughout the Psalms, David was one of the, the main psalm writers, and he's, he's, he's pleading with God to come and, 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 to, and, and to bring justice to those that are hurting him, and he would rejoice when he would see this happening. It's good news when if you've been hurt. It's great. He's going to set the record straight for us. The problem is, it's also really bad news because you've hurt someone as well. All of us, we've hurt someone. So that means that we owe. All of us here, we owe. And you can't do something good to make up what you've done to cost someone you've hurt. It's like showing up for work halfway through the week. 
I don't know, now we work from home so much, throwing up to your couch, I don't know, like, but it's like, it's like, yeah, I'll start on Wednesday halfway through the day. Like, and it's like we show up halfway through the week to make up for the first half that we missed. No, you missed it. We owe you, like, someone has to pay. That's real love. That's actual real justice. You and I owe for what we've done. Someone has to pay for what you've done. Or God cannot say that he's loving. Real love demands justice. Have you ever thought about that? We like to say love is love as long as everything's good for us. <laughs> if someone were to hurt my daughter, I would be angry. I would want justice. I would want to seek them out. And it would be awful if I was like, yeah, just don't do it again. <laughs> no, no. The same is true with God, which leaves us without hope unless, unless someone can take our place. And so in God's plan for his family, remember in the beginning he made us, we, he was, he was, God is unified, and he made us to exist in that unity with one another be brought into this family, but we broke it. We went away from him. And God's continued plan, plan, plan of his family. Before he made the world, he chose us to be in Christ and to adopt us. God just does this. So he sends Jesus, his son, to take our place. And so this is why Jesus is not arrogant when he steps into our lives and says, Jesus says this when he came. This is recorded in John 14, 16. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can come to God except through me. He's not being arrogant. He was the way. He is the only way to be brought back to God because someone has to pay for this. God isn't just nice. That's interesting, right? He's not going to let a landlord just rock over him. No, that's not okay. Thermostat needs to be fixed. <laughs> God isn't just nice. There's nothing loving about that. God doesn't just accept prayers to pay for pain. God isn't just, just, he doesn't forgive without justice. We cannot forgive without that. Someone has to pay for it or God has lied to you and me. It is really important. That's why God is passionate about justice. But he's fully loving as well. And he, from the beginning, this was his plan. And so God sends his son to the cross to pay for the way that you and I have heard him and those around us. We've all done it. We all need him for this. And Jesus became our sin. That's why he came down to us to take this penalty for us. Death was deserved. We brought death into the world by walking away from life, by walking away from love. And God was showing this in Scripture. Several hundred years before Christ came, God was beginning to, to give words to us to say, this is coming. And Isaiah, it speaks to this all, all around. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. 
He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is, as, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. I don't have this for the screen, but it goes on to say that he had done no wrong, he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. All of those things happened to Christ. It's amazing. He predicted it exactly. And he goes on to say in Isaiah 53.10, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him. It was God's good plan to crush Christ. It gave him pleasure and to cause him grief. It says, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Jesus had to die. Someone had to take death's place for us or else we are left hopeless. And that's why he came. And it, it gave God pleasure to pour out his wrath on Christ. And so that's why we talk about, that's why, and we'll talk about this on Easter, right? That's why on Easter we celebrate Jesus' Jesus's death on the cross. People didn't understand it. He, he, he kept telling his followers, I'm going to be killed, and three days later I'm going to rise from the grave. He kept saying it over and over again. Anybody who can predict their death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm with him. And that's why we, we follow him. He's the only one who's done this. And, we, and you, can, you can look to prove that and you can seek that out. And most people who try to disprove the cross, the cross and try to disprove the resurrection will end up becoming followers of Christ. It's a great challenge to pursue. And so there are two things that happened when Jesus' death on the cross happened that, that we, we should talk a lot about. One is the moment that Jesus cries out. Matthew, Matthew records this. He says, At noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. This phrase in Greek says, Eli, Eli, labak shabak lamai. If you're, if you're born Jewish, or you, know, you can take me to task about that later. But anyway, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Here's someone who's been with God the Father, part of creation, part of, part of the Trinity, and God has turned, God the Father has turned His back on the Son. I can't imagine, you ever been betrayed by someone? You ever been somebody break up with you in a really bad way? Or a friend who turned their back on you and lied to you? Like it's one of the worst pains that you will experience in life. I can't imagine experiencing the love and the unity of the Father. He gave that up and, and, he, and he, he cries out, God, why have you abandoned me? God had turned his back on him. Why? Because the first time in his life he is completely alone. He was no longer seeing Christ. He was seeing you and me in our, in our sin. He took our sin upon himself. By becoming that sacrifice, he stood in our place. It's, it's, a legal, it's a legal exchange. Instead of us being put on the docket in the court, getting the punishment, someone else said, I'll do take this instead. And so the judge says, okay. And he pours out on us, on him, what we should have had happen. He became our sin. He took our place. He paid for it. Jesus cries out, God, why have you abandoned me? And then the next thing that happens is we see something happen in the temple. The moment that Jesus dies, God did something physical to illustrate what was happening spiritually. 
It says in Matthew 27, 15, it says, Then Jesus shouted out again and released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split apart. The, the temple, the curtain, was an area that only the high priest could go. And it's not like a stage curtain here. There's a, you can't see it much, but there's a black stage curtain here. It's this thick that if we grab the knife, we could start to rip it. Like this curtain was insanely thick. It was a miracle to see it just ripped from top to bottom. And, and, and it was this divide. It was a visual barrier for the people between the people and God. And God had given them that for the temple to say, there's a barrier between us. And it was where they would come once a year and, and, or more and to sacrifice the sins. Sacrifice animals represent death that was required for sin. And they had to do it over and over again. But Jesus came to be that final sacrifice. And God tore that curtain in two to say, that nothing was going to come between me and my people again. It is paid for in, in, in its finality. And so Hebrews 10, 19 in the Scriptures speak to this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Jesus took our sin to remove the barrier between us and God. And because of Christ, we are brought back into the family. We are adopted back into His family. Fully forgiven and redeemed. We call this the beautiful exchange. Christ got what we deserved, and we got what he deserved. And so he's brought us into the family. Romans 8 15 says, You do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. <laughs> Daddy. But that God wasn't done. It wasn't enough just to be forgiven. You and I, we keep sinning. We keep messing up. How are we going to stop? We still live in our sinful bodies. So when Jesus dies, all of time is looking to that moment. Can and will God bring something spiritually and physically dead back to life? And that's why we celebrate his, his resurrection, because he did. Three days Jesus rises from the grave to prove that he is the Son of God and have victory over death. Colossians 1.18 says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. His resurrection brings new life. And so the scriptures call this being born again, spiritually rebirth, rebirth. And so Jesus says this. Jesus says in John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So because of his death and resurrection, he has settled this debt for you. But it's our choice to make. All you have to do is trust him. 
Scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's why we come to a faith and belief in Christ. We don't, have, we don't do this because we're just, this is what made our life better. No, because this is the truth of how we are made to be. That there's a debt that we owe that only Christ can pay. And that's the hard part is we admit that we, that, that we need a Savior. And for some of us, believing that God exists is sometimes the first hurdle to walk through. And I, there's a place for you to come and engage that. But walking away from our self-world life to having Him be our Lord is the beginning of trusting Him in, in what we call salvation. Romans 6, 5 talks about this. It says, if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from that. Now, if we die with Christ, we also believe that we will live with him. God has made us to be eternal, and he promises that he will fool you and unite us one day with him. And this is the center of our faith, Christ's death and his resurrection. And when we fail now, he is now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. His plan is for us to engage him and to grow. And we don't have to be slaves to the thing that leads us to death When we follow Christ, we are following him towards life. He has the words of life, and we follow him in relationship, not because we're perfect, but because we are not perfect, and he is the one who is. Going back from the beginning when I read that it was his desire from the beginning in Ephesians 1, he says, it says that he wanted us to be blameless, And without fault in his eyes, he chose us to be holy. When we accept Christ, he sees us as he sees Christ, holy without fault. What a gift. He has freed us up from that, and that is your choice to make. It's why we love Christ and celebrate him. Maybe for some of you, that is a step that you are ready to take, and maybe some of you are at the beginning of asking those questions. If you want, you can click what it means to follow Christ in the back of your connection card. We'd love to connect with you about what that means and talk about that further. But that's the center of our faith. And we love because Christ has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your words of life to us. God, I thank you for the gift of who you are that we don't have to be afraid of death because you have defeated death, because even in death we win because you have defeated it. You have taken away the fear. God, our world is full of fear and anger and strife, and we need your peace. I pray that we would have faith to believe in you today and to step out in faith and step out in obedience, to be baptized and to follow you. 
We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.